new on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. All right, here we go. <laughs> please subscribe to the channel please hey guys youtube's got an algorithm and it really really help us out a lot if you could like comment and subscribe this is how we can get more information out to more people and uh share the message of toronto real estate In thanks that order like comment subscribe and hit the damn bell Actually, kind of look like. <laughs> well, at least the hair. Anyways, so it's uh, the Toronto Real Estate Show. Hello, TK. Welcome. Or uh, welcome back. Nice to have me. Nice to have you, and nice to have you back. <laughs> I don't know how What's if up? it's nice to have you, but it's, it's nice, nice to, to have, have you. you here. Because I know I almost backed out today. You have a busy day today, do you? I almost backed out. A lot of showings, do you? I had a lot going on this afternoon. <laughs> I almost bailed. Yeah, you know, me had to too. Like, you know, shine my uh, rims on the car and, you know, vacuum my seats. I'm upset. Clean the bird, clean the bird crap off my rooftop. You know, it's an ordinary Sunday, so I had almost packed it in today for the show. But I'm here, thankfully. I think everybody appreciates that. Hey, Jordan's here. Awesome. Nice. Look at that professional keeps his appointments i love it no reminder nothing we are we are definitely falling behind on this show like things are not getting better <laughs> around here who's the booking manager things hey, are not getting better he needs to be yeah they're getting worse daily on top of ensuring that everybody's got the uh Listen, this was all fine and dandy and fun when everything was on lockdown and I had nothing to do, but now everything's busy <laughs> for me again. This is a pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, what's... Uh, yeah, Jordan Skrinko in the house. You're on mute, brother. Welcome. Welcome, though. Hello. Good morning. Hey. How you guys doing? We awesome. are doing great. Thanks for showing up. Yes. Yeah. Happy uh, reopening weekend here. Yes, happy reopening weekend. We were uh, our booking agent who has since been fired uh, okay. didn't reach out to you this week to confirm. So we just realized very, very shortly, or, or like five minutes ago, that oh yeah, Jordan's <laughs> supposed to be on the show today. I wonder if he's like he's in the calendar. Yeah, because so we're glad you showed up. Because I know the booking manager personally. And uh, I know yeah. he did not reach out to you. So we do apologize for, for our unorganized behavior. We're organized. No, we're here. Jordan's here. He's, he's loving it. If it's in the calendar, I'm there. I'm yes. there, man. That's what I told awesome. TK. I said he accepted the invite. He's going to be here. He's a real right. professional. Yeah, unlike, unlike my clients, if I accept the invite, I'll show. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about that for a second, shall we? Because... Yeah, go do, for do, it. Do you have the uh, the Instagram account, the broke agent? 
Of course. Absolutely. I'm not a big, I'm not a big social media guy in, in Instagram. So to me, that's like more of a new thing, but uh, yeah, that's, those posts are hilarious. Is he an American guy? Is uh, I believe broke agent is, yeah, I think he's American. So is, um, there's another one. I think it's actually agents. Okay. Um, there was a good one the other day. It was like uh, residential broker starter pack. And it was like, uh, uh, Range Rover lease and like um, what else? What else is there? A couple other things cracked me up. Perfect. Boot, little boot covers. You need little boot covers. Make sure you can go inside houses, mm -hmm. right? Little notepad and uh, and calendars. You got to give up those calendars. People still <laughs> give out calendars. Somebody's giving Some out calendars. People do. Like magnets. Yeah. yeah. No. Everything. You name yeah. it. I am seeing firsthand how archaic this system really is. Like I already thought I knew how archaic real estate sales were. It is so bad. It is so behind what it could be. It's crazy. I'm going to do a quick little intro for Jordan. Just yeah, because go for some it. of the listeners haven't uh, maybe seen previous episodes. Jordan's our pre-con uh, expert. So he specializes in the pre-construction industry in Toronto. If there's a project that is, planning to be built is going to be built is on its way to being built or has just been built he knows about it and uh, we're looking to him for all the advice we can in the toronto gta area yes so what are you seeing jordan what's going on out there weird uh, yes, weird. Place, really um that's the best way to describe the last year is is just the ebb and flow and the, just the, the the change in, in month by month not just of the numbers and the data but just uh, the product type that people are looking for, um, the, the neighborhoods and the areas that they're looking for. And just like for us, just a weird, um, a, a strange shift to end users buying pre-construction more than investors in the past year, which is an anomaly for sure. Let's talk about um, that for a sec. That's interesting. So we have, okay, so you're saying that we have more end users. Are they buying bigger units? Are they buying like twos and threes? Yeah, larger units. Um, uh, larger units, more expensive units, and more focused on the boutique sort of luxury product. I mean, we sell one Delisle launch, and it did incredibly well, yeah. um, given the price point, given... Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's something of an architectural marvel, and it's in a really good location, and it's like we haven't had a product like that in a long time. And I don't know if you guys have visited the sales office, but my God, the finishes in that building, they haven't cut any corners. It's, it's just an incredible all-around building. How so much per square to, foot there? Um, these, like the sky units are approaching, you know, 2,000 a foot. I think. <laughs> That's it? There. That's, That's not even that high. high. That's not that high. Like tall building. 50 Scholard is way higher than that. 50 Scholard, isn't that like a, near 3,000? Yeah, different different uh, location, right? Sure. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, if you look at like resale, I mean, Hill and Dale is a prime example on Roxborough. It's like those units uh, sell resale north of 2,000 a foot, and they're very similar in fit and finish to one to Lyle. So it's really not all that expensive. Um, of course, to our investor clients, when we send out emails with price lists that look like that, people laugh at us because <laughs> right? they're used to looking at entry level resale, which is a whole different, you know, a whole different world. Um, What's the, yeah, I, how do the rents work that, on a building like that? Do they work at all? 
It depends, man. So it depends on how much product actually comes to what, like how the question is how many investors actually bought there and intend to rent those units out or people who right. bought them for maybe retirement. So they're going to rent them out for five years before they move in. Like the question is how much of that demographic is in that building? Because if there's very few available for rent, they'll fetch, they'll actually probably cash flow, believe it or not. Uh, I know if you look at Hill and Dale, there were two units that leased right on closing of that building and they leased um, at like $6 and 25 cents a foot a month. So it's like, you know, there are, there, I have clients who reach out to me for those 10, $12,000 a month rentals and like there's none of them available. I mean, Peter Freed's unit over at uh, 550 Wellington rented for what, 25 a month, 25,000 a month. Wow. Um, it's like, what is it, like 6,000 internal and 6,000 tariffs? Like, it's an incredible unit, but um, there are people looking to rent those units. It's, it's tough is to see. Is, is there a way when you're helping your clients to go um, and find out, you know, how many investors are buying in a, in a project? Like, is there any telltale signs that you kind of just learn from experience or? Well, telltale signs, yeah. I mean, just you look at the type of product and you can make a pretty fair estimate based on that. If the building is high, you know, per square foot because they're focusing on micro units and a lot of really small units and the, you know, the, the two bedrooms are 600 square feet type of thing, you can be sure there's going to be a lot of investors in there because they're trying to pull down their end price to make it more attractive to your investor. Um, and then just location obviously is a big factor and just what our response is. So, I mean, you can ask, you know, depending on how close you are with the, the, whatever marketing or sales team is running sales, you can ask them for what they're seeing. And then also just what, what we're seeing with our, if we have 20 worksheets, I can tell you, you know, 10 of them are investors, 10 are end users. I can kind of guess at the composition, but that's the best you have really. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's a strategy, right. In a, in a real end user type of building maybe take a chance there to get a little bit higher rent, right? Yeah, especially if, um, you know, the clients who are looking for assignment flips, um, ideally you want to be in a building where there's not going to be 30 assignments available <laughs> during uh, interim occupancy. because that's, that's a tough spot to be in. It's sort of a race to the bottom. And, and, the, and so you said that it's more locals buying for themselves pre-construction. So... What, what, what are these people saying? Why, why the shift? Why are they wanting to wait five years for their home now? Uh, well, so for us, the end user demographic has been a lot of downsizers, empty nesters, and even people who are buying these condos, kind of a 50-50. They have the cash. They want to deploy the, the money. A lot of these people are relatively wealthy and they see, you know, they're worried about inflation and they want their money in assets and real estate is, is good for them because, hey, maybe I have a couple of kids who might want the condo. Maybe I want to downsize into the condo. I don't know, but it's five years away and it's a good place to park my money in the interim. Um, obviously, it's when you're dealing with, you know, one to three million dollar condos, each person is there's usually a very, uh, very different motivation. Um, but that's sort of the overwhelming one is it's uh, a, a lot of people looking for somewhere to put their money that's relatively safe and they might use it. They might not, they're not sure, but they'd like to have the option. Um, and with resale, obviously you need to figure out what you want to do with it today. Um, and so, I mean, it just lines up really well for a lot of these people. Yeah. So, so that's a new buying pattern that you're seeing, right? Like that's kind of like something now that maybe wasn't as common two years ago. Right. Yeah. Most people that had a use for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all, you know, you normally see boutique luxury uh, buildings hold on to a lot of inventory uh, 
for quite some time, it takes them a lot longer to sell. Um, the sales cycle is just a lot longer. Uh, and lately, those units are, are selling quite quickly. The large stock, the terrace units especially, they're, they're selling really, really well. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's kind of an interesting shift. And so what about location? Has that shifted at all or is it still just downtown core that you're working in? No, we've been we've been all over the place for the last uh, last year. Um, there's a lot of sort of lingering um, lingering inventory opportunity. There's a lot of buildings that are almost complete, and because they don't have to factor in the new cost of construction, their prices are looking really attractive comparative to new launches. Um, but most of those sort of lingering value ops are in the outskirts, west and east end, and and uh, even further out, Mississauga, and that kind of thing. So um, we've been kind of all over the place. There's also been a ton of interest. People really want to buy pre-construction in, I mean, Hamilton's a huge one. Uh, Hamilton, Waterloo, um, I mean, Waterdown. Um, any pre-construction watching there is selling like like hotcakes. Barry's in, Barry included in that. Uh, I mean, people are paying the same price per foot and in Hamilton and Barry as, as some oh. of the uh, options in Etobicoke these days. What, what are those buyers? What are the buyers that you're dealing with? Are those end users or investors? Investors. Okay. So the price point is the attractive part, right? So the investors yeah. are moving further out? Uh, a lot of them. I, I think a lot of them are. Um, just end price is better for them. It's lower, it's more manageable. Um, and a lot of people get caught up in, I think a lot of people get caught up in the headlines, frankly. And, and the headlines are, you know, work from home is here to stay. Hamilton's up 40% this year. Uh, and all of that kind of plays into people's decision. Maybe I should buy a condo in, in Hamilton rather than, than Toronto. Um, but I think when you look at the, when you look at the value to me, it's like, you know, if you can buy a condo for a pre-construction condo for 900 a foot in, in, in Etobicoke on transit versus 800 a foot in Hamilton, I mean, to me, who, over the next 10 years, what's going to outperform? I think, I think it's pretty clear that Tobacco will outperform. Like, there's, the value gap is, is, is too narrow right now. Um, yeah. Like, I want to pay 20 or 25% less to be in Hamilton than Tobacco, but right now you're just not getting that kind of discount. Um, so, to me, which is uncommon. This, that's, that's not, that's generally speaking, the, the gap is going to be a lot larger. Just over the yeah. last year, it's narrowed down, and that's not something that's going to stay forever. What about the rent gap between the two? The rent gap? Yeah. Well, it used to be better, right? It used to be easier to cash flow in Hamilton and Barrie and places like that because the you know per maybe prices were twenty five percent lower, but rents were only fifteen percent lower. And as someone who's lived in Barrie, I can tell you Barrie's a, a sort of a unique market because there is no rental inventory. It's actually incredibly difficult to find anything to rent in Barrie. There's very few purpose built. There's very few investors. Um, being a renter in, in Barrie is really particularly difficult. Um, but uh, but but lately, with these inflated uh, pre-construction prices in these outskirts markets, um, I'm not sure what the cash flows are going to look like. It'll be interesting to see, especially when you know a lot of these buildings that sell out, you know, get two three thousand worksheets overnight. When they close, and ninety or eighty percent of those people might be investors, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, when all of those units come to market at the same time, it's it's a race to the bottom, right? How many what, did what you say? What percentage? 
Let's say 80 or 90 percent are 80 or 90 he did say that right potentially yeah. So yeah what surprised me i'm driving along the 407 and in oshawa they've got this massive condo that's 40 stories or whatever and that they're trying to sell another building or it's already for sale or, or they've got plans for it already and it's like you know it's near the college and university and everything like that but it's just in the middle of nowhere so i think that these small towns or outskirts cities have now just had uh change, changes to their planning which they're allowing now bigger buildings to come in and more density and stuff like that too because i feel like i don't know hamilton i don't know you know barry wherever these buildings are but i feel like there's no other buildings like these it's the go stations today. it's the go it's stations every time like go station goes somewhere the densities get bigger and higher right and then people can come there that i mean that's been the strategy if you look at all of these outskirts cities all of the booming ones with with height and all these mid rises, I th yeah. well, not, maybe not a hundred percent all, but I, th I think probably uh, have a ghost station that either just opened or opened in the last like ten years. Yeah, Bowmanville's got a ghost station that's coming up. Everything and Hamilton. Was, and I, and I saw the rendering. I'm like, that doesn't look like it's in Bowmanville. But Oshawa, Richmond Hill, yeah. like it's bananas everywhere. Barry, so that's Barry a factor too. Then the ghost stations. That's why these are now buildings that are even allowed to be built. That's a hundred percent what's going on, and it the builders are. What what are they starting at in all these places? Like you see, starting in the fours everywhere, no matter what, right? So what 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 size is that unit? Well, definitely the <laughs> margins are. It's no secret the margins are better the second you get out of Toronto for developers, right? That's that's pretty well known. You you watch any conference or you attend any event where developers are speaking and they they talk about that, and it's much much easier to build out there. The city planning is a lot easier to work with. Um, and the margins are, are way better because just the cost per buildable foot that you're paying on these on these sites is usually better. I think maybe in the last year that might have shifted a bit. Uh, it maybe not be it might not be as great anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it makes a lot of sense from a developer's standpoint why you would want to build in Burlington over over Toronto if you can get you know 10% or 20% lower cost per foot, but it's costing you 30 30% less to build. I mean it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, and there's a lot of people looking for that inventory. It's not like, you know, I, I say 80 or 90% investors, but the truth is a lot of the people who I would classify as investors might also just be, the, I don't know what I want to do with it type, type of people. Like maybe I'm buying this for my kid. Uh, if they decide they want to stay, you know, in their hometown or, or go to school here, uh, I'm not really sure. If they don't do that, I'll rent it out. It's a lot of, um, uh, I find like, especially like bonds, a good, a good uh, you know, case in point is, a lot of those people buying the VMC sort of uh, pre-construction units, a lot of them are, are people who live in Bond. Um, you know, their houses are worth 1.5 and they've got all this equity in it and they're not sure what to do with it. They understand Bond, they get Bond. Um, and so they invest, you know, a lot of people like to invest where they know. And so you see a ton of that in, in Bond and Square One's another good example of that. So it could be for their kids, it might not be, they're not sure. Um, but they want to deploy capital in the property market. They want to lever up a little bit, and, and um, it makes sense for them to, to invest close to home. Nice. What, one of the things that I've been seeing lately, and Daryl and I are familiar with a few of them, is failed projects. So guys, guys that have been, you know, selling or marketing or something, and now like one just came back on the market on Sh uh, Shepherd, which is the Harrington residences. Um, there's some other ones that uh, we know about. What are you seeing? There has to be some coming down the pipe too. Like it's impossible that there wouldn't be. 
There's no, a few sites that are stalled that we're, we're like, this is going to be coming up soon as a failed site. Like we're watching. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with that. Like I, um, I, I said in a video early last year when the cost of construction started to inflate rapidly, I said, we're going to see more cancellations than usual. Um, it only makes sense if they haven't broken ground, if they haven't, um, you know, if they're not moving forward on the development, if they sold at prices that were previously able, you know, possible to honor um, and that margin disappears and they get the construction financing pulled. Um, I mean, most of these guys don't have any, any choice but to cancel. Um, and uh, nobody could have really anticipated what happened with the cost of uh, materials. Um, nobody built that into their pro forma if they, if they ran the numbers pre-COVID and they sold at prices that maybe they can't honor anymore. And so there's going to be a lot of cancellations naturally. We, we had actually a few clients at Harrington residences because when they did sell, they were at incredible prices. We did warn our clients there. We said, look, there's our, I would put this project at you know, a decent odds of cancellation. Um, Why? What was, the, what was the criteria that you were looking at? I can't remember if they didn't have zone. I, there was some no zoning. There was, yeah, there was a red flag. I believe it was that. And did you see just, the... Did you see the one on the Queensway? Somebody, was that yeah. you posted that? Somebody posted it on Twitter. Yeah, was that you? So 859 uh, West, they had started selling two floors um, that, uh, that I guess they didn't have approval on um, or they're waiting on approval on and they were pretty certain <laughs> they were going to get it, but it didn't come in in time. Their investors and, that lent them the money must have been thrilled when that happened. Yeah, so I mean, that's Holy, also. Don't we worry, we're going to get at least two more stories. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll I had a few clients there on lower floors, thank God. And I actually, one of my clients last uh, two years ago when he was buying that unit asked about the higher floor units and he really wanted one of the, one of the top two floors. And I told him not to do it. I, I was like, you know, at least you know with these lower floors, it's almost a sure thing. They've already broken ground. They're almost done underground. Oh, why uh, was it known that those two floors were in application for? If you did your digging, yeah. It, yeah, it was there clear as day in the city applications. But they uh, didn't was, tell people. They just sold the units. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I wasn't told. Um, but uh, I don't even believe the sales reps would would uh would know that i mean it's not even really their job to know that yeah right and um i mean whole buildings are sold without full approval a lot of a lot of the time so just two floors seems like such a minute detail and it seems like a relatively easy thing to get in the queensway where people are getting massive zoning densities well, not massive but yeah they're you know um but when i looked at the approval when i looked at the um when i pulled the the uh, application from the city planning database i was looking at the the density, and I can't remember what the number is, but I was looking at other projects that had recently approved, and I, and I was like, "This, if they get the approval for the additional two stories, it looks to me like they would be the highest density in that particular pocket." So it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I wasn't sure if they would get it or not, so I just told my client, like, as you know, just to be safe, why risk it when there are units on lower floors that are, you know, probably a sure thing or as close to a sure thing as you can get um and they yeah, listened they did listen oh yeah. good he knows his stuff they, they, they trust him that doesn't mean that they listened so how many how many sites though like without zoning like to me like daryl i asked daryl this and again i'm i'm you know super green here to me without your zoning and you're going to sell right i wouldn't i wouldn't want to be buying that unit is that common though? Are bigger developers doing that where you trust them? Where you're like, we know this guy, he's done it before and we think that he's going to come through and 
Like, yeah. how do you gauge? <laughs> like up in Vaughn. He... <laughs> Gupta. Yeah, I mean, it, hap- it happens, man. Like, there's there's a lot of... Uh, it, it happens pretty frequently. Um, okay. they may not, it depends on how far along they are, right? And wasn't like, it Liberty up there, too? Yeah, I caught, yeah. They're huge. No, no agent in their right mind would have told their client to worry about Liberty going under. And this all happened, guys, before the prices of everything went bananas. Yeah. So imagine what's coming. Um, this, I, it happened, uh, I mean, Crestford is a great example. Nobody ever told anyone to worry about Crestford. I swear to God, when I, I, I was telling people, I, I'm not kidding, they were paying 200 250 280 a buildable for zone sites way before zone sites were anywhere close to worth that. They paid so much for that Yorkville site, it was nuts. They had a Ponzi scheme going where they were just buying zone sites from Kingset and selling them right away and building them fast while the market was hot. And the minute the market stopped, they were done because he just kept bringing in money from God knows where, saying it was his own, right? And the the deck of cards just fell apart on him. The minute the market sentiment shift, boom, that thing just fell apart. You could see it if you knew about the land deals, maybe. I mean, I wasn't like going, oh, my God, like run for the hills. Something's going to happen. I just said to my partner, like, that's really high. This is stupid what they're doing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, we hadn't sold uh, Crestford products, so I wasn't paying really close attention to any of it. We definitely lately do more due diligence than we, you know, even did before. Um, but uh, there's only so much you can do. Like, you know, people, um, you can't even assign an odds to it because there's really no way to know. It's just you have sort of projects that are closer to a sure thing and projects that aren't, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's the best you can really do right now. Uh, like Harrington's a, a good example of a small developer, small project. Who's the developer there? I can't remember. Hmm. I can't remember. Smart. Um, yeah, with someone, uh, someone on my team sold like three or four there. Um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's definitely strange times. Anything that launched recently, I think, is fine because they've priced it in, or at least I hope they have. Right? Um, they've they've based their numbers on super inflated cost of everything and if those costs regress a bit then their margins are looking a little bit better and they should be all right but time will tell so what are the yeah. new, what's the new stuff coming out at right now per square foot for like something reasonable not the micro unit that's 385 square feet it depends on it uh, depends on where you are right like um downtown like, like core so downtown um you know 1400 1450 and that's got built in the the new construction cost bump. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and then you've got. I mean, it depends on where you are, right? Yeah, like, that uh, works. Lancer, uh, just launched their new phase at uh, Notting Hill, or the new suite released at Notting Hill. The really small stuffs at like thirteen hundred a foot. The larger stuffs at closer to a thousand. So um, that's uh, you know a toco. Um, yeah, Did you guys so, sell anything at uh, the United Building at 481 University? No. Is that site moving forward or what? Do you know? I don't, I don't know. Um, another Which one is Trinity United? Ravine Towers on Markham Road. No, we, we didn't sell that either. I only pay really close attention to something we sold a lot of units at. Yeah. Or at least more units at. 
Um, there's just so much going on in the city. I feel like it would be a full-time job just for me to that's okay. Uh, to browse urban Toronto all day and, and keep up to date on what those happens. are just two sites I think that are going south. That's why I wanted to see. I was trying to think of all the ones that uh, you know were sold pre-COVID times and nothing's been happening and they're just on standstills, right? Like nothing. The ground hasn't been broken and see to me like the deposits, right? Like so for me to, to advise the client and say yes, go into a pre-construction condo, right? Get your deposit tied up, whatever that number is, hundred grand, two hundred grand, whatever size unit you bought. And then three, four, five years later, you get your deposit back with like 2% interest or whatever it is, if you're lucky. And it's like, all right, start from the beginning again. And now prices have gone up however much, right? Like well, that's- Especially the last couple of years, like the prices- yeah. So how do you set that up with clients? Up. Like, what do you do? What's your strategy to just try to mitigate the risks and make sure your clients are aware and Show obviously you're successful. So chart. what is it that you're doing? What? Well, we were lucky. Like, we haven't dealt with any big cancellations. We've never sold like 10, 15 units of any of these projects that canceled. Um, but I mean, we when we sit down with clients and we have our consult, like, it's not just um, a lot of brokers book you, like, they, you sign up on their website or, or you refer to them or whatever, and they book you immediately to go meet them at the sales office. We do it a little bit differently. We have people come into our office first and we sit down and it's usually a 45 hour-long presentation where we go through multiple slides about pre-construction investing in general, past returns, that kind of thing. Um, what their closing costs are going to look like, all that kind of thing, thing, you know, risks to be aware of. And the biggest one is just I tell people, you know, buy into a developer before a development. Um, focus kind of on, on who you're buying from. And try to measure your risk reward based on that. Um, oftentimes, if the prices are too good to be true, they are. And, um, and you know, I'd rather, I'd rather overpay a little bit to be with someone, um, you know, a lot safer. When was the last out. time prices were too good to be true? It's a really good question. Um, a long time, I, I would, I would say, I mean, there, there are examples of smaller developments launching cheaper than the kind of big guy next door. Um, that's not necessarily a red flag in a, in and of itself. Uh, maybe they just can't command the premium or the products are a little bit different. Um, but over the last year, I'd say like anything that's launched recently, you don't really look at, at the price list and go, this is too cheap. I mean, Daniel's Killsdale is really quite, quite attractive, especially with the 5% down and the starting prices. Um, but uh, Where's yeah, that? I mean, two, uh, Killsdale, Daniel's, the one they just launched. Um, and, and then there's like, um, uh, there's some units at um, a prime example of too good to be true, but is true is like there's some units right now. At, do you know uh, Cypress Pinnacle, uh, Kipling and Dundas? Okay. So, anyways, there's a Pinnacle project, Kipling and Dundas. Where... You're a precon expert, Jordan, so tell us. Okay, so there's a Pinnacle project, Kipling and Dundas. It's almost done. Occupancy is in like, um, like six months. Yeah. But uh, you can buy. Um, a really good floor plan, U-shaped kitchen, uh, one plus den or two bedrooms for eight fifty a foot, parking included. Um, Sounds like a we're... great deal. Scarborough yeah. prices. Scarborough Sorry. prices. Scarborough prices, right there. That's amazing. Kipling and Dundas, yeah. you know. Yeah, now, downside is like no. Very few investors are looking for something that they're going to have to close on in, in six to twelve months. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like the lingering inventory of projects that are almost complete, there's some unbelievable prices. Um, oh, but people would not. rather wait five years and just kind of reserve their price now. Yeah. 
Wow. Instead of buying, okay, I guess if they're. Yeah, that's probably the, the number one attraction in pre-construction, right? Is all I got to do is do the deposit schedule and then I don't have to do anything else until then. And I'll worry about it then when that time comes. But there are Hopefully the builder delays it another year or two. But there aren't people yeah. th that are like uh, fed up with trying to buy a, a house in the market that aren't eating those units up now? There, I mean, there are. Yeah, okay. Um, like, uh, it's just, it's, it's always kind of interesting to me that when a building gets that close to completion and prices are that good, it can almost be really hard to sell an investor on the product, even though the numbers make so much sense. Um, like I can, I can show people, you know, if, if you buy at Pinnacle of Cyprus versus another project in the TOCO that more recently launched, you're talking about an $80,000 saving on a very comparable unit. Um, and a lot of the time people's response will be, yeah, but the rental market's bad right now. It's like, okay, so you stuck up 10 grand in rental losses over the next two years, but you saved yourself $80,000 on the price. Does that not make a lot of sense? Um, but a lot of the time to, to people, they just, they're not ready to close. They don't want to close. Maybe they can't close. Um, and they think they'll be in a better position in, in four or five years or, or whatever the case is. Uh, maybe they want to assign and flip or they want the option to assign and flip. Um, but, you know, a lot. A lot of the time, the numbers themselves uh, don't do the selling, um, because to me, you look at something like Cypress, and that's an incredible deal. Or you know, Mirabella at Lakeshore on Windermere has some units left at 900 bucks a square foot, and there are examples of partial Lakeview units selling in that Humber Bay pocket at Otis Lake for north of 1300 a foot. So that's an incredible deal. But again, you have to close next year. Um, Southport Square is about to launch. I don't know where they're going to launch price-wise, but I'm sure it's going to be north of 900 a foot, right? And so that makes Mirabella comparatively a really good deal. But again, the downside is you have to close right now. And, and just, I would say a, good, a big subset of, of pre-construction investors are not interested in closing soon. Um, and a lot of the end users so, want to close right away because they want to move in right away. Exactly. You're in the, yeah. you're in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. And so do we have a lot more launches lately than we did over the last year? Or do we see a lot more coming down the pipe or less? What's the story? There's a lot more coming down the pipe. Some, some launches that have kind of come out of nowhere, blindsided us, like Casimir on the Queensway. Um, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think a lot of developers, they have all this inventory they intended to launch and, COVID sort of delayed that. So I think over the next year, provided the market stays relatively strong and these guys can move 50, 60, 70% of their inventory on, on launch, um, I think you're going to keep seeing that inventory come to market. There was an article this week. Um, Millions of people will move to Canada in the next 20 years, but where will they live? It's on uh, the CTV News website, right? And it's quoting Statistics Canada saying, by 2043, our population under a medium growth scenario will be 46.5 million. So that's about 18 and a half million more than we've got right now. And the increase in Ontario is about close to 10%. And I think that with all these projects being canceled and delays and, you know, we're going to have a serious shortage of supply in about four or five years when we just haven't been able to keep up with new building and new, new unit construction in the GTA. What do we consider the current situation if five years from now is going to be serious? Yeah, I was just going to say that I would argue today is a serious supply It is deficit. a serious um, friggin' deficit out there right but now. People, people still have places to live. Like what, what this is showing is this is saying like, where are people going to go? I mean, people are going to be forced to leave Ontario. 
De I mean, definitely. Like our building, yeah. you know, uh, somebody put out a good tweet. I think it was the planning or Twitter who said, uh, you know, in the last 10 years, in the, or, you know, in the last five years, we built less housing than the five years prior to that. But our population growth was like 30% more than the five years prior or something like that. And, and I think you can kind of extrapolate that trend and assume it's probably going to continue forward where each year it's getting harder and harder to bring units to actual completion. And each year our population growth is edging up a little bit. Um, and I, I, Toronto's sort of an anomaly in that way. Like that's that's been the overwhelming story for the last decade or two about why our prices, you know, uh, why our housing market outperforms every other North American market. Um, it really does all come down to supply and demand. Like people can scream in the wind all they want about foreign investment and all this other stuff. But the, oh, the, the, the major case is, is just the supply and demand. And I don't think it's going to get any better. No. And here, um, check so this solution, out. Check this out. It's condos though. No, but it's not because here, why not? The, the reality is that even if all the developers got approved today for what they applied for, right? We have an article, skilled trade shortage could undermine home construction in Ontario. Who the fuck wants to swing a hammer anymore? The, yeah. Most people don't want to do the work and we're already short in labor, we're short in materials, we're short in land, we're short in current units and we're planning on opening the floodgates up in immigration. So. What will definitely happen is people will have to spread out because there isn't enough here in Ontario, zero doubt. But guess what? There isn't enough anywhere because if we can't keep up with our 125 cranes in the air right now, like what the fuck is Montreal going to do, right? What, what's Calgary going to do? Where are these Alberta doesn't have the same labor shortage for skilled trades, right? Because their economy is a little bit different. Different and all the oil skills, and but yeah. People have to be repurposed for um, building, right? Yeah, so, well, there's only so many people that actually want the Canadian dream and Calgary. 18 and a half million <laughs> people come. I'm sure some of them will know how to use a DeWalt drill, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, or tell people how in the, to. In the GTA, where are we going to build? Where are we going to build houses? Where are we going to? There's really nowhere for us to go. And like, there's going to be people fighting tooth and nail to keep the cool. green belt. The solution's condos. It's just got to be just towers. Hong Kong just. Yeah, but nobody can build them. And here, check right, this out. Right along Lakeshore. To, to compound the issue, there was an article that came out this week, soon, the soon-to-be end of Katera. Anybody know what Katera is? Katera was uh, oh, SoftBank. You know SoftBank, the company that backed WeWork? So this was a, a SoftBank-funded company that was automating home building, right? Like factory building home, uh, homes. Well, they're gone Right. And they were backed by SoftBank. They had billions and billions and billions of dollars in funding. So even the real solution, which is automation and robots and like crazy construction methods, like they're failing on top of everything. Right. So like it's mm. going to be dire. One of our one of our guests, Jordan, uh, named Ben Myers, he's an architect and he has a lot of different, uh, you know, experiences and stuff like that and apparently in asia they have some amazing especially like we we witnessed that right when china built the hospitals near wuhan it was just like all of a sudden they have all these buildings within like you know weeks or months or whatever it was right so they've got some some of them fall apart possibly. for sure they may, yeah. they may have been built to fall apart <laughs> no they're they call them something i forget what they call them but they they know like they're like paper buildings or something is yeah the translation. Sure. but i'm just as an example how they were able to do it so fast not they all do build their condos though with a lot of automation and a lot of engineering that is just i guess next level that we just don't have yet and i think that that's 
um, a big part of the solution. Daryl, you're right. I mean, automation is the only way to avoid that. And that's what a lot of the, all the companies right now, because of the job vacancy rate, it's up about 20%. All the companies right now are looking for ways because they're like, I can't find a skilled guy. So instead of me investing in training and instead of me investing in paying people more, why don't I try to invest in more automation so that whatever it is that my company needs to be doing, the less skilled workers I'm going to have. And there's a huge amount of automation being invested in over the last 12 months because huge. of the labor shortage. Huge. So we're just at the beginning of it. You know, it takes time to do this, especially building a condo. I don't even know how that would work, but they're doing it. But let's like, let's look out five years. I mean, is there any indication anywhere that says supply will catch up to demand or demand will shrink? No. Like even a pandemic didn't shrink <laughs> the, the demand. Yeah. I mean, there's only conjecture, right? Like um, there's a lot of conjecture about whether you're leaving Canada because housing costs and, and are, are too high and, you know, they can get better in the States or whatever, but I'm not, I'm not actually seeing those people. Like I, I think they're a relatively small subset of the population who actually want to, you know, pack up yeah. and leave. Um, and I, and I think, you know, like another point of conjecture is like, you know, with Biden and with Biden's immigration plans, it's going to take a lot of the immigration that would have otherwise came to Canada. But I think those people are vastly underestimating how many people in general there are that want to move to either Canada or the U S I think, you know, there's not a shortage of those individuals or exactly. anywhere uh, other than where they are right now. Like they have options. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so I think, um, like the way I see it is, I, I just don't see, um, I just don't, don't see a way out of the supply deficit, um, not in the short term, it's, it's definitely not in the short term. Um, everything, you know, everything takes time. And like, like you said, like autom bringing automation into, into condo development, having that help with the labor short, like that's a, that's a medium to long-term fix, right? Like that takes a long time to implement those kinds of things. And even just, um, I mean, just in general, working with the city of Toronto and getting anything approved is so slow and painful. Yeah. Um, I can imagine how long it'll take to get approval to use sort certain robots. Yeah, oh, exactly. yeah. No, it's crazy. You're like, wait a second. Hold on. You're going to need a permit for that robot stopping traffic. Sorry. Yeah. No, but like, yeah. let's take Tesla as an example. Like, when did they start that company? I don't know. 2003 or I don't know. Let's say over, well over a decade ago, probably two decades ago, and like mm -hmm. adoption of those cars is really starting to gain traction over just the last couple of years. And, and all that other time was just failure and investment and, you know, scraping by and a whole bunch of baloney, right? So, so like somebody has to do that with construction at some point. Somebody's going to have to like, like Katera just failed. They're going to go out of business. Somebody's going to come. Like we have to go through that whole process. Buy up their scraps. Yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah. But like yep. somebody has to Take come in with a plan that works now. Yeah. Right. And Take get somebody to buy into it. Beginning. And there has to be a reason to do it. So, you know, the, the word on the street is that modular building will save time and save money. But the reality is that even the guys that sell it tell you, yeah, well, you know, it's really not that big a gap. And then, you know, depending on if this happens, it might even be more expensive. So yeah, that's what Ben was saying. Right. That's <laughs> there's where things that can go wrong. Yeah. yeah. There's things that can go wrong still. Yeah. 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 I see Like you see a lot of like short, um, minor uh changes in the market like i mean like covid and becoming very popular that's evidently going to happen here it happened in europe it's going to happen here right? what's that what's that 
like co-living. Co-living, you know, okay, yeah. Unit townhomes where people share a kitchen and a living space, and and the rent is lower because of it, and you're gonna see a lot of that kind of stuff here. But that's it doesn't solve the big picture problem. Um, it's a it's a, it barely scratches the surface, right? Um, and I think yeah, I, I just I that's why that's why and that's why I tell investors overwhelmingly is like, you know, we show them all kinds of slides. We show them the risks. We show them the rewards. We show them past returns, and and you know. Um, Here's what happens when projects cancel. Here's what you have to look out for. Here's what your closing costs will actually be, which is a lot larger than people are anticipating. And we show them kind of the good and bad of pre-construction investing. Um, but you know, we show them uh, mortgage rate projections and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Um, but the overwhelming story that I try to explain to everyone is: uh, if you take only one thing away from the presentation, it is supply and demand. That's that's the problem here in Toronto. Um, and it's going to, it looks like, it, barring some massive change to the way Canada operates, it's going to remain a problem. And that's why you invest in real estate in Toronto, is because yet you, you won't beat the S&P. If you're leveraged 20% uh, down, historically speaking, Toronto smashes the S&P um, because of the leverage aspect, obviously. Um, and it's real estate, so you can you can borrow against it. There's a million things you can do. It's pretty liquid um, right now, too, actually, which is crazy. It was never yeah, considered a liquid asset. I mean, you could sell a house well, right now in thirty and close in thirty days, right? Easily. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we're seeing a bit of a summer slowdown right now. Like people are focused on the nice weather. Things are open, so I think condo Ben uh, or Scott Ingram put out the months of inventory for the resale condo market, and it's like one point six now, which is up from one point one uh, six weeks ago or so. Um, but it's like it's important to remember like that's still can you feel that can you feel that difference not really i've seen some condos sitting yeah i've seen i've seen some condo units resale sitting you know what i've yeah, noticed yeah, a month ago i wasn't not in the condo market but what i've noticed a lot is like houses coming up getting terminated and coming up again at like a higher price or the exact inverse of that coming out really high terminating and coming up low and then getting sold for that original number I've seen so many it's, it's crazy. crazy up down What's up down on? and then terminated listing that's a beautiful <laughs> thing right now about the pre-construction market is there's supply you can get a unit the price you know what the price is when you're making your offer you know mm -hmm. you like you know things right now in the yeah. resale market you don't know the price you don't know where it's gonna go you don't know how much you have left for renovations you have no idea and some yeah. asshole is gonna outbid you for no good reason 99 percent of the time mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's always interesting hearing the stories where it's like you know i think um trb uh david uh fleming put out that article where um he sold a listing and, you know, he got seven or eight offers and uh, three of them were within five grand of each other at what he thought the condo was going to sell for, call it 600 or whatever. And then one offer was 80,000 above those or something like that. I forget the exact numbers. Um, and it's just like, it's one fed up uh, buyer who's lost out on multiple, multiple offers who just says, you know what, forget what fair market is, forget, forget what the comps are. I'm just going to offer my maximum personal budget because I'm tired of this. Um, I just want to secure a condo. And I mean, if you look out over a 10-year horizon, that person's going to do just fine. They may have overpaid by 70 today, but eventually that's going to be, that's going to be all right. Um, and they probably set a new precedent that future listings in that particular building, they're looking at that benchmark, right? 
Um, it's just, yeah, resale is an, an interesting animal right now. And what's most interesting to me is in the past month or so, just the, the resale, uh, like entry luxury market for condos is just absolutely on fire. Um, it, what it's price range is that? Like when you say entry luxury, what, what is it? One to 2.5. Okay. Yeah. On fire because there's, there's no supply. Yeah, there's, there's very little supply and there's a lot of people looking at that market right now. There was a listing that came out, the penthouse at 47 Lower River. My clients had bought a year ago now a $1.1 million lower penthouse unit at 47 Lower River. And this one listed for 1 million, uh, 1.499. And it's a 1,700 square foot unit um, with, uh, with some outdoor space in the same building. And they said, let's go see that. I think we want to upgrade to that and rent out our current. I was like, all right. It had listed 12 hours ago. So I booked the showing for the next morning. And then our showing got canceled because it had sold. Um, and so it sold in you know 24 hours, which is atypical, obviously, for, for almost $2 million units. Um, and uh, yeah, you're seeing that happen across that the city. That seemed like a good price point, though, for that unit. Well, I'm sure it's, I, 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 would, uh, I would bet it, it sold for more. But yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's the thing, kind of, the price. Well, do you hold offers or do you not hold offers, right? It's kind of like when markets are changing, you don't know, right? Am I selling it too soon or what, right? A lot of people now- Do I take now, the bully offer or do I not take the bully offer? Yeah, a lot of people are telling you like while you're walking through the showing, like I, I suggest you make a bully offer. And that <laughs> makes me think that like, you know, they, they're not sure what's going to happen on, on offer night now. Because people yeah, are, it's the, it first, looks, it's the first property you've seen make a bully offer. Just, just, just go in. I think yeah. the Can't smart lose. move would to be, you know, I have one ready. Here, just sign. It's already <laughs> filled out with your name. Be a bully. Make sure you get the house. Be a bully. How oh, else yeah. do you do it? What other strategies are there these days? Well, Jordan doesn't really dabble in the in the resale that much, do you? No, we do. Our so not me personally, but uh, on my team. Uh, we have uh, a number of guys who do a ton of resale. So are there any uh, interesting strategies to, uh, to, to, to use these days? Like it's, it's hard to stand out in a market where, you know, I compare it to, you know, you see in the movies, the chain link fence with all the zombies, like trying to get through. And there's like one guy on his own with a bat. Like that's the <laughs> listing. Right. And the zombies are all the people looking to buy houses right now, <laughs> just waiting for that, like notification to come up that there's a new listing in the area that they want to live in. And they'll, do, they'll say and do anything to get inside. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, our budget's way more. Oh, yeah, yeah. We love that house. We've been waiting for that house. And then they see it and it's like, hey, can I get some feedback from your showing? No reply. <laughs> No, the agents, the agents are like, yeah. well, yeah, it I says believe. one, I four, you said you were really interested. It says one, four, but we're expecting at least one, six. So if you're not planning on offering one, six, don't even waste my time and book a showing. It's like, yeah, yeah. whoa, that's a bad agent. It must be nice to have a listing these days. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, the, having listings right now, being a listing broker right now is a license to print money. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different strategies. People do it a lot of different ways. I think a lot of, uh, I think um, one thing a, a lot of people do wrong is they bully offer, but they bully offer conservatively, like less than somebody would probably get on offer night. And it's like, if you're, if you're submitting a bully offer, it has to be attractive enough to. Yeah. I better take this. Persuade them to yeah. abandon yeah. the strategy. Yeah. Burden the exactly. hand is better than two in the bush. Let's go. 
make them exactly. think it. It's an emotional decision. The seller goes, oh my gosh, that's the price. That's more than I thought I was going to get. It's the closing date I want. Those buyers are perfect. They may not be here next Tuesday. We better, we better look at this. Yeah, they may have yeah. bought something already by Tuesday. This market's bananas. But they don't Imagine care. if developers had that power, if developers had that uh, sway where they could just put up a unit and just say, okay, it's 684 square feet. You know, we're asking a dollar. Let us know what you think and just let people. That's what I was thinking. I was driving around this morning going, why doesn't it like, why is it different in pre-construction? Why is it a completely different sales method? Why couldn't the market say, Hey, like, this is what I want to pay for this thing. Do you want to take that? No. All right. Like maybe this guy will. I think it's just because you're bulk selling so many units at once. But there's a uh, there's just as much demand, right? But that's but but he's true. He's he's right though when he's saying you've got options. So if I don't get that one. I'll get that one, right? And that's when it when it's a resale. It's like this is the only house on the court with a ravine and the blue shutters. And it's like, do you want it? How much are you willing to pay? So it's a little bit more of a scarcity. I would imagine that some builders don't know it, but they're leaving money on the table with their pricing because people would pay more. Look, five Sometimes. bucks a square foot more, three bucks a square foot more on some of these buildings. You know how much bottom line profit that just adds? Yeah, no, it makes a huge difference. It's not like moving the entire building as a whole. Yeah. Just pushing up the average cost. So um, it seems like, crazy to me that there isn't a more universal system. You know what also seems crazy to me? That a million people can bid on a house, it can go to God knows where, and the seller could say, you know what? I changed my mind. I didn't, you know what? Yeah. We didn't quite get there. It should be like, you list it. You better sell it, mother. You better sell that thing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Um, people are, I know a lot of buyers who are uh, obviously fed up in this market. Um, I also know, like we've had clients before who routinely, generally speaking, what I, what I tell agents who are doing multiples right they, they're working with a buyer in, in an entry-level price point either in detached or, or in uh, in condos is oftentimes if, if this isn't a referral this isn't someone who trusts you yet say it's an online lead that you've converted into showings um they you have to earn their trust and generally speaking if they're first-time buyers like they need um to see it to believe it usually they have to lose one before they get serious um and uh, you, you have to kind of, you know, tell them where you think it's going to sell. You know, this condo is listed 599, it's probably going to sell 725, whatever. Let's offer, <laughs> you know, the, the, the oftentimes clients will be like, you know, it's their first time out, they want to offer like ask for maybe 10K more than ask. You got to let them do it, man. You got to let them lose once and see that it sells for the price that you suggested it would sell for before they'll trust you. To, to offer way over ask on the next one. Oh yeah, um, and guess what? The next one will be a little more than that one you just lost, by the way. So you yeah. gotta have patience and you can't push people because I mean, they, they're gonna have to learn the hard way. They almost almost always do. Um, and it's just the, it's the way of the game. Like right now being a buying agent is not, not a whole lot of fun unless your buyers are at a price point where, you know, bidding wars are not all that, all that prevalent. Um, that's got to be a fairly high number yeah and uh, even still it becomes it becomes um how many how you're, much dealing, you're dealing with sellers who sometimes are overpriced by a million dollars so you're like right. you know you've you've got a great buyer and they're like i can afford three million dollar house just find me one but all the three million dollar houses are listed for four million and you're like oh 
Yeah, but you know what? Like what what you could get for X six months ago does not get you anywhere close to that now. And a year ago, forget about it. But six months, it's like a big difference what you could have bought versus Mm -hmm. what you can get right now for the same bread. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the reason we're seeing so much um, activity in the entry kind of luxury condo market too is just because freehold has, you know, freehold prices have risen so sharply that all of a sudden some of these condos, these one, $2 million condos are not appreciating or haven't appreciated very much in the last year. So, you know, they're such a good deal. All, all, comparatively, they suddenly look like such a good deal. You get a really nice condo in that 1.5 to 2.5 range, right? Um, are any are any of your investors worried about the rental market still, or is that now a thing of the past where everyone's like, okay, this market's coming back. We're not concerned about it anymore. Did we absorb all people, the Airbnb? Airbnb? Yeah. Sorry, guys. My agents just rolled in. You shut that? Thanks. Um, working on a Sunday. Nice to see you. So, so we absorbed the Airbnb and we're saying that uh, we're, we feel comfortable with the rental market now? Or we I want to hear what Jordan's That's what I'm asking. Are thinking. Yeah. Uh, it's, getting, it's getting a lot better. Like, what are we under now? 9,000 um, list, uh, condos listed for lease. So it's getting a lot better now. Um, but uh, it's still elevated. Like, typical is under 6,000, I think. So we're still okay. you know, 50% above where we should be. And depending on where you are, 100, 200, $300 a month less. Um, are those concentrated in certain areas? Definitely. And in certain buildings as well, not even just certain areas, certain buildings, because they have a lot of that inventory. Um, it's, you know, if you're in some luxury boutique building and there's only two units for lease, you're probably not seeing as much of a decline in rent as some super high rise, like grid condos where their HVAC's not even working and they've got 21 bedrooms for lease. Right. Obviously there are, there are different, uh, you know, di- buildings get different different rental rates. Um, but I know I, we just had a, a client lease a unit out at, at Sherway, um, at least really quickly in like a, a week for roughly the same as what it was leased for pre-COVID. Um, so That's it awesome. depends on where you yeah. are. So what about your presentation? Just because we're at the end of the show here, we'll, we'll wrap it up soon. Your presentation forecasting four years from now, you know, how are you treating that on the return side? Because obviously you're trying to project future rents, right? With your investors. Uh, so our pro forma just we haven't changed it pre-COVID, post-COVID. It built in three percent rental inflation yearly and six percent price appreciation yearly. Um, try to keep it conservative. Do I think the market's going to do better than that? Of course, because it has ground to make up. We're, if we're twenty percent depressed, we're going to do better than three percent a year over the next little bit. Second, the borders open and foreign students come back in that rental market. Get, the rental inventory gets eaten up quickly, and the, probably the price of rents will rise almost as sharply as they declined. Um, It'll kind of make people's heads spin, I think. And then um, uh, from a price standpoint, I think we'll do better than 6% a year because the last decade we've been at 7.9 to 8.1% per year. I think there's a good good bullish case. Like uh, obviously I'm a condo bull and I think there's a great reason why, why we'll outperform 6% per year. But those are the numbers we put on our pro forma because I hate to be too bullish and you know overpromise and under deliver type of thing. Yeah. Um, I just think some of these cash flows that other brokers send out where they've got like 7% rental inflation and 10% price growth. I think it's like, you know, those are just um, maybe in the best conditions in the world. But um, I think, I think if you're basing your returns on 6% per year and your rental increases at 3%, you're being conservative enough. Um, And if the numbers make sense for you with those numbers, then you should, you should go ahead with the purchase. What, well, what, what, 
how much equity makes something like that cash flow these days? Like what percentage do you have to have down to actually make money every month? Depends on, depends on, so some of the pre-construction units we're selling, cash flow assuming 3% rental inflation from current rates. Very few, uh, or neutral, uh, more are neutral than cash flow. CIBC, uh, Benjamin Tal and Sean Hildebrand put out a, a great report um, that showed uh, 37% of condos that closed in 2020 were in a uh, negative cash flow position um, and showed that the average appreciation, the average equity gain over the span of, of them purchasing, which presumably if they close on a pre-construction unit in 2020, I'm assuming they bought around 2015, uh, most of them were up about 180,000 on average. Um, so I think those Doing are okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> where where can our listeners uh, reach you? Where where can they find you, Jordan? Uh, YouTube pre condo, just just uh, yeah, YouTube uh, pre condo. And we yes, so thank awesome. you, Mr. Skrinko. We have a busy day scheduled. Mr. Butler is showing lots of houses today. I'm sure you're super busy. I don't have too much going on. I'm just gonna edit this video all day. And uh, thank you once again for joining us. Wonderful conversation, sir. Very insightful. Thank you for your help. I got a. I feel like I got a good pulse on the market today. Big time. I hope so. Yeah, you guys are you guys are pretty smart. Thanks a lot. New on CuriosityStream, have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.